portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. It's time to talk sci-fi and superheroes, fantasy and horror. It's time to talk movies, TV, books, and games. It's time to escape boring talk radio and journey through the wormhole into the geek universe. Surprise! This is a different kind of superhero story. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. You become part of a bigger universe. Hold it, hold it, slow down. I'm feeling a little like an outsider here. You are! See, the thing is, you guys look at me, you see the funky outfit, and you say, now this guy's a no, geek. A, a, a geek. geek, exactly. What you don't realize is it is hard <laughs> work making something this pretty look like a geek. So I must be doing it for a reason. Well, you got me convinced, whatever the reason may be. And now, the only talk show host who doesn't believe in the no-win scenario. Your host for Geek Universe, Jim Yelton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, welcome to another edition of Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, along with our Android announcer, Rachel. We are coming to you live on tape from Geek Headquarters, and this week we have a very special edition of the show, as we're joined by a writer who has worked on some of the biggest comic book characters of all time. We're talking X-Men, Spider-Man, Justice League, Green Lantern, and Daredevil, along with two heroes he's probably best known for writing, who have made it to the big screen this year, Deadpool and Superman. His five-year run working on The Man of Steel included the story What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way, which introduced Manchester Black and the elite to the DC Comics universe, and it's been cited as one of the best single issues of a comic book series of all time. We're going to be talking to comic book writer, animation TV writer, and now short film director Joe Kelly for the entire show, and I had a chance to ask him about his work with Man of Action and all the stuff him and his collaborators have been working on in the animated TV side of things with stuff like Ben 10 and Ultimate Spider-Man and Avengers Assembled. We also touched on his creator-owned comics work. We get a status update on the film version of his comic, I Kill Giants, and you know that I couldn't pass up a chance to ask Joe his thoughts on the big screen adventures of Deadpool and the Man of Steel. We actually talked shortly after release of Batman vs. Superman, and wait until you hear his take on the DC movie universe. But we got the ball rolling by talking about Joe's latest project, which has him stepping behind the camera as a director for an upcoming short film. It's called Poughkeepsie, and we just uh, wrapped shooting a couple of weeks ago, so I'm doing the assemble edit right now. It's... um a project that we actually funded on Kickstarter, uh, which was very cool, uh, although that was a gut-wrenching, terrifying month of uh, <laughs> raising funds. I've heard that but, from everybody that's done a Kickstarter. Yeah, it's it's uh, it was a lot more challenging than I expected, um, but we have we had really cool people step up, um, you know, besides your sort of circle of family and, and immediate friends, and, and we were able to, you know, fund the film, and it's a pretty ambitious short film. It's about a... Um, an older fellow with Alzheimer's kind of facing his final days and kind of in his bouts of what appear to be dementia, he's remembering his past and seems to be able to go back and influence uh, his memories to the point where he's changing history. And oh, wow. so it's a story about kind of redemption and, you know, do you always, you know, literally do you have uh, up until your very last breath to kind of set things right? 
uh, and are there things in your life that you just can never get, you know, get past or, or can't fix things that are unfixable. So it's, um, I wanted to do a drama, uh, with a little bit of, you know, I love magical realism. I love, you know, obviously something like I kill giants, um, where the universe kind of cracks open and gives somebody a second shot, uh, at life or to make an amends or whatever. And, um, that's what Poughkeepsie is about. So we have a great cast and, um, looks beautiful. Uh, and I'm just putting it together so then I can sort of hand it over to the next round of more professional editor type folks and, you know, uh, start working on it on that level. But, uh, yeah, this is a, it's, it's been a great experience. I'm having a, a blast doing it. I'm very, very proud of it so far. I know this isn't the first time that you've done a short film. Do you, do you find like the the short film experience is something that allows you to kind of stretch a little bit more than you know some of your comics or TV work that you've done and you know like you said you're you're going for more of a, a dramatic feel while still keeping it a little bit genre related do you do you look for an opportunity to kind of stretch yourself like that with your short film work Sure all all the time I mean not just the short films but other comics projects and uh I mean definitely animation especially in the current market, we're a little bit limited in, in what we can do as man of action and, and what the market will bear. So comics, though, you know, I mean, what we get to do at Image, um, I mean, I'm all over the, the map there when I'm able to work on those books. But the, um, you know, Four Eyes is out now, and, and that's that's a pretty dark story. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a genre story for sure. But, um, yeah, with the short films and, and – um, Especially, I mean, especially this one. The last one I did was a, a long time ago, and it was a comedy, and with really no money at all, and and done over a quick weekend. And you know, I'm I'm glad I did it. It was sort of a, you know, my my directorial school basically, without going to director school, because um, I went. Yeah, everybody thinks I went to film school. I went to film. I went to school for dramatic writing. So yeah, it's a little bit different, but um. So that was sort of my a little bit of a trial by fire. This was a lot more thought out and really built up, and I storyboarded the whole thing myself, and you know, really a, a fully designed experience for me. So, yeah, it's a long way of coming around to saying, you know, I, I like telling stories, all different types of stories in any medium, and um, taking a crack at something that was a little bit more dramatic uh, felt right and felt uh, appropriate for what I wanted to do. Cool. Now I. Before we get into some of the stuff that you're working on now, currently on TV and, and in comics, I I can't let the opportunity to talk with you and pass me by without touching on uh, some characters that you've worked on in comics and were fairly well known for working on have hit the big screen recently. <laughs> uh, let's start off with the with the easier of the two. What did you think of Deadpool? Oh, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, uh, I had high expectations and I, I feel like they were met. Um, it was a lot of fun. I, I'm very glad that the, the fan response has been what it was and uh, the muscle that Fox put behind it, uh, to promote the film. I've literally never seen anything like that. I mean, I can't, I haven't seen a marketing campaign that successful in, uh, my own memory. I, I really can't, uh, <laughs> I cannot remember a time where somebody got behind their little film that way. Um, and so I loved it. I thought Ron Reynolds did a great job. I thought the, it was, it was a blast to see blind Al on the screen. It was great to see Ajax come to life. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of 
a lot of stuff that I did was in the movie, and it's uh, it's nice to see that it endures and stands the test of time. Well, and that's one of the things I wanted to ask you because you know working in comics, especially with characters that have been around for a while. I mean, you got Deadpool early on when Deadpool was still trying to figure out what Deadpool was, you know, and it had to be kind of cool to be sitting in a theater knowing that comics is a collaborative medium. And especially over the years where you have so many different creators adding their own personal touches to these kind of legacy characters with Deadpool, you know, like you said, you sat there and saw things that you specifically added to the Deadpool canon and, and it was on the big screen. That had to have been really cool. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I owe an eternal debt to, you know, to Rob and Fabian and, and I've said it many times. I mean, you know, Deadpool was a cornerstone of my career starting off. And, um, you know, without, without those guys, uh, would have been a completely different path. You know, I mean, if I didn't have that opportunity to, to kick off Deadpool's ongoing, uh, who knows what I would have gotten. I, I have no idea. Um, it was a, it was, it was, so I, you know, I owe a lot to those guys. And so then to have been able to contribute in a way that, and people are very kind, you know, uh, talking about my contributions and, uh, to see that stuff, like you said, make it to the big screen, you know, 25 years later. Um, it's, it's nice. It's nice to know you did the work, you know, like you did the work, people recognized it and that sort of forms a foundation, um, on which other things are built. And that's a, it's a great feeling. Now, on top of Deadpool, I mean, you've worked on a ton of comic characters throughout your career, you know, major characters for both DC and Marvel, whether it was X-Men or Daredevil or, you know, with the stuff you've done with DC working on Supergirl. And But the, the big thing with DC that you're widely known for is your work with Superman. Uh, so uh, it's funny that you're on this week because last week, uh, we did our entire show talking about Batman versus Superman. And I, I, I kind of looked at it and I, I tell people it's kind of like my therapy session because <laughs> after, after seeing it, I had to kind of decompress and think about it. And then I just, there's so much, if, if you're on social media, there's so much out there, uh, positive and negative about this movie. Right. Uh, I just real quick, what were your thoughts on it going into it? Obviously, you know, the the first time that you're seeing these two characters live action on a big screen together, but was it something where your expectations were met, or do you feel like you kind of missed out on something there? How did you feel about it? Well, <laughs> I definitely I've I've made no no bones about that. I I fall into like the Mark Wade camp on as far as Man of Steel goes. I I thought Mark's dissection of Man of Steel was uh, one of the the funniest things I'd ever read and the most accurate. Um, I, I've, I've been known to call him chiropractor Superman on panels, uh, because I was just not down with the whole neck breaking thing. And so there was a lot of, I, I came to this movie. I, I, I did come as like a pre hater. I, I'll, I'll totally admit that. I, um, I was ready to just hate everything. And, uh, and I was very grudgingly, plunking down my money uh, to go with my son <laughs> and check out the movie because I did want to see what, you know, what would happen. So maybe because I was so ready and so kind of predisposed to, uh, 
to disliking it when I saw certain like amends get made. So like Superman actually seeming to care a little bit about people and making sure that nobody got hurt and Batman making sure that the docks were all empty when they're blowing all this crap up, you know, things like that helped, uh, <laughs> right. helped get a sense of like, Oh, okay. There is a little bit humanity, you know, coming back into this, into this universe. Um, there were parts that I thought were really fun. Uh, I love Wonder Woman. I mean, she's, I feel like she's a bright spot that got, has gotten swallowed up. Like people were talking about her a lot in the beginning and then it, it went away. Uh, it was so much fun seeing her. I thought she was a really cool character. Um, I felt like it was just way too much movie and I wish it had been three hours long to make it, give it some air and give it a little bit more breathing room for character. Yeah. Um, or just chop out the third that was all about the next franchises, you know, um, and just focus on our main guys. Cause you know, we've, I've been, I've been writing comics for 20 years now and eventually you have to get, you know, you want to see the heroes fight each other and invariably like you do your absolute best to make sure that the contrivance is as real as possible and feels like it comes from a, a place of truth for those characters. And, you know, they almost did. Uh, and then, you know, like, like my son said, it's like, well, you know, if they just kind of talked for five minutes, it really, they didn't have to fight. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and then, so that, you know, that I, I do, unfortunately, I, you know, I had that feeling, but you know, the, the pyrotechnics were cool and, um, the doomsday of it all I thought was cool. And, uh, you know, but I'm a pretty, I'm actually a very easy audience goer. You really have to tick me off or be god awful for me to uh, to drop out of a movie. And I was I was in it more than I was out of it. But I I really did feel like it was just it was just too much. I'm curious when they, I mean I think it's stupid to relate you know do a rated R version. I who cares? But yeah, exactly. Uh, but if they if they did a director's cut and it had and it was three hours long and you actually got to see more of the humanity, more of the levity. You know, there are those, there's like literally two scenes where you might smile or crack a joke um, in that entire film. Um, so I, I would imagine that there was some more stuff, but if it's just more stuff of, uh, hey, guess what? Dark Side's coming. I, you know, I kind of, I don't really care. Um, yeah, it was so really, I, it was really ahead. weird to me because I felt like it either needed to be a, a shorter movie. Mm-hmm. Or it needed to be a much longer movie because there seemed like there was some connective tissue in some of the storytelling that just was missing. Right. And, you know, I can't imagine an audience that was not like you or I where we're steeped in the comic mythology. You know, somebody coming to this cold had to have been lost at times in this movie. It was just it was kind of weird. Yeah, I'm curious what, you know, what civilians uh, think about it. Because uh, I was talking to one of my uh, nephews who's a super, super, super fan. And his, uh, and you know, a, a, a grown-up. I mean, he's not a kid. And, um, you know, his dissection of it was very thought out. And uh, he had seen it more than once. And he felt like on a second viewing he got even more. But that's the problem is that you need that second viewing and you need this encyclopedic understanding of the DC universe to fill in the gaps that 
if they didn't try to cram in so much plot, those gaps would not have existed. They would have filled them. They would have properly stitched together some of those motivations and, and some of the, the, like you said, the connective tissue that was just missing because they had to edit that stuff out to cram in more scenes, you know? Um, so for me, it was a mixed bag. I mean, I, like I said, because I went into it with such pre-hate, uh, I walked out, you know, at least pleasantly surprised. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I want to see these things succeed. You know, I, I don't really want to go out and bash any of these films. Um, cause I think it's cool that we live in a, an age where stuff that used to get made fun of for enjoying now dominate pop culture, you know? Um, it's a, it's a good time, uh, for, you know, for superheroes and for people who enjoy our genre and the kind of work that we do. Um, I just, you just want to see it done with some level of, of respect. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when Schumacher put, uh, nipples on the bat suit and started mixing the 60s stuff and trying to infuse that into, into his Batman movies, you know, everybody was in an uproar and felt like it was taking, you know, taking everything too lightly and kind of messing it up. Um, not spending the time to really embrace or just not embracing like who Superman really is and what he represents, I think is that that's for me the biggest misstep. And I saw at least glimpses of it in this one, you know, um, I, somebody had a quote posted up on Facebook. I don't remember who said it, that it was very hard to portray Superman on the big screen. And that to me is just laughable. I mean, I, I don't think that's true in any universe. Um, you just have to believe it. You have to, you have to buy into what Superman represents. And if you're too cynical and you believe the audience is too cynical, you can't sell that. Um, but he's not any harder to put on screen than James Bond or, you know, any franchise character that's been around for a long time. If you buy what the character represents and what's in that DNA, then there's no reason you can't uh, treat it properly and give it its proper due and modernize it without just rewriting the DNA of the character. Well, and I think that's why you're – the, the the story that you're most known for in terms of Superman is what's so funny about truth, justice in the American way. And I think that's why everybody had that resonate with them. You know, at least that's why it resonated for me as a reader was making that point that Superman is still a character that we need and can still be done well. Right. In in modern storytelling sensibility, you don't have to say, oh, well, it's all hokey and mom and apple pie. There are ways that you can tell a great Superman story without changing who he is, essentially, as a character. And, and that's one of the things that I loved about your take on the character. Um, oh, real, thanks. Uh, real, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, real quick, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, the, one of the other things I wanted to touch on was how much I love the stuff you guys at Man of Action are doing. Oh, on TV. Uh, for people who don't know, Man of Action is who? It's you? It's my, it's myself, it's uh, Stephen T. Siegel, Duncan Rouleau, and Joe Casey. And you right. guys just got together and said, we're just going to work together as, as a writer's collective and, and go out and do TV and comics and just take the world by storm. And you created Ben 10, which is a great show. Thanks. And then... 
the comic sensibilities took over even more because you started working on Ultimate Spider-Man and Avengers Assemble, mm-hmm. which I love to death. And I recommend to people who don't even have kids, I'm like, go watch the Disney shows because they're <laughs> really good. Uh, uh, what was kind of your guys' take going into those, uh, knowing that you wanted to do some work in animated TV? Oh, well, I mean, we were very lucky in the beginning. I mean, as soon as we kind of hung out a shingle, um, folks kind of found us uh, to do short films and video games and a bunch of stuff right up top. And then Ben 10 obviously was the big the big break. And, and we've always approached this stuff the same way, which is that we, we try to do things that we want to watch. And everybody's got, you know, especially when you're working with a big company, there's always uh, certain mandates and confines and, and standards and practices you have to adhere to. So within those structures, we just do the best that we can to tell fun stories and, and kind of not reinvent our childhoods or replay our childhoods, uh, but go, well, here's what I liked and here's what I believe kids dig and put that out there on the screen. And so, so Ben 10 was always that, I mean, the, that character, um, you know, even though over the course of time, you know, he changed in some iterations. I think the reason the classic resonated with, with so many people was, you know, we understand that kid. We all felt like that kid who doesn't understand how things work, but wants to use it anyway, you know, and the watch didn't always do what he wanted. And, um, and, and he used, he used the superpowers to do things that a kid would do, you know, and it was just fun. And then when we worked for Marvel, it was kind of the same thing. We were very lucky, you know, Joe, uh, you know, Joe Casada, Jeff Lowe, Brian Bendis. I mean, we worked with all those guys, um, getting those shows together. And with Spidey, especially, they were like, you have to pretend that nobody's ever seen a Spider-Man cartoon before and pretend they never read a comic and now go do whatever you want. And that was a great license uh, to have fun, to play with him, breaking the fourth wall, talking directly to the audience. That was kind of our homage to the way Stan would do narration and uh, really bring you in. Uh, And that, you know, the tone that was, that was set by his writing. Everybody's tried to emulate in one way or another, whether it was just snappy one-liners or letting us in on Peter's thoughts, you know, um, everyone's that that's part of the DNA of that character. So we were able to do it in a, in a way with animation that people hadn't done yet. Um, and then Avengers, you know, uh, we were lucky enough to step in right as, you know, the biggest movie of all time at that time was, <laughs> was about to come out. <laughs> Um, so that didn't hurt. And, uh, and they're a fun bunch of characters. I mean, you know, our guys, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good on, on classic comics. Uh, Joe, Joe, Stephen Duncan are, they're real, like hardcore fan guys. Like they actually really know their stuff much better than I do. Um, which yeah, maybe I shouldn't admit, but <laughs> they're very hardcore. So, you know, like we'll be talking about stories and they'll, they'll literally start going like, issue numbers and covers and who drew what cover and what was on it. And it's, they're great. You know, every, so everyone has that source material to pull from, but then again, we put it through the lens of, okay, but what's, what's fun for today. What's going to reflect the style of those films. Um, and you know, what's appropriate for, you know, for a kid of today. And that's what we try to do on everything. And, you know, so far it's working out, you know, it's working out well. I mean, we, um, you know, I, 
I have kids. I mean, uh, three out of the four of us have kids. Uh, we have watched them grow up. We've all got nieces and nephews. I mean, you know, we're we're very plugged into what's going on and you know what what kids are watching and uh, and we watch that stuff too. I mean, we're fans, so uh, I think that comes through. Uh, at least I hope it does. Oh yeah, it definitely does. I I love all the shows and. It it really excited me because I liked Ultimate Spider-Man a lot, and when I heard that you guys were going to be doing the Avengers show too, I was like, "Oh, that's must watch! Like, I have to see that now." Oh, cool. thank you. <laughs> uh, one last thing, and then I'll let you go. Uh, yeah, no, there, I'll, I'll stay for a couple more minutes. Sorry. Okay, there was there was word that uh, they were working on an adaptation of your comic series, I Kill Giants. Yes. And the the big news recently is that Zoe Saldana is attached to it. Yeah. Uh, what can you tell us about where you're at on that? I know you wrote the script. Yeah. Uh, what's going on with that? So it's it's the incredible slowest moving juggernaut of all time, which is Hollywood, and uh, just basically the we've got this incredible director. Uh, his name is Anders Walter. He uh, won an Academy Award a couple of years ago for best short film. A foreign film called Helium, which is a beautiful piece if you ever get to see it. Um, we have very similar sensibilities. He's really got a classic style. Um, Zoe Saldana signed on to be uh, Mrs. Molay, and she's been a really uh, strong proponent of the piece um, during its development time, uh, which is great. Like she's really, really invested, and. Um, it's just a matter of waiting for a green light. I mean, it's it's literally the really boring behind the scenes stuff of, you know, producers and money and getting things lined up that just take, you know, it takes to make a film like this because it's not obviously a franchise people know. Um, you know, it's the story of Barbara, you know, of this young girl protagonist. I mean, there's a lot of elements to it that make it slide out of the safe zone for a Hollywood guy to just put a big giant stamp on it and say, just go make that movie. It's a no brainer. People have to really think about it. But what's been amazing is that the people who have uh, come to the project, uh, they all get it and they've been extremely supportive. Uh, there's never been any kind of, you know, you hear all the horror stories about like, Oh yeah, I wrote my book and then they never wanted anything to do with me again. That has never been the case at all. And uh, you know, in part it's because I won't let it be. I mean, I, I'm, fiercely protective of of I Kill Giants because um, it's so personal to me. But everybody's been cool. It's and it's you know been a lot of handshake deals and and people standing by their word and it's been it's been really good. So I'm hoping that there will be you know some big news soon um, as far as you know that green light. But it's just uh, it's just waiting for those final bits of ink to dry and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's really cool. I, I loved the series when I read it, and I just thought it. When I heard that the movie was a possibility, I thought that's perfect. Like we need more things like that that aren't necessarily. I mean, I know you would want it to be a a big budget movie, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And you know, you can make a a smaller movie that's a great family genre movie that everybody's going to love. So I was okay. really excited when I heard it. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm not, uh, as a matter of fact, it's, you know, it's funny. I mean, the scale of things, I mean, when people just start talking about millions of dollars, it doesn't matter if they're talking about 8 million or, you know, 50 million. And you're just like, yeah, I wish I would like $8 million. <laughs> like, right. Feel free to give that to me. 
But um, no, we're the budget zone that we're looking at. It, it is actually because taking into account what it is and, and the type of film it, it's going to be and how people have to mitigate risk and stuff like that. We actually never went into it thinking it needed to be a you know eighty million dollar movie. Um, so yeah, it is it is something that's what's great about I think the the book and the experience that people have is that it's very intimate and yet can ha- it has its epic moments and that definitely carried through to the screenplay. So that can be done you know it can be done for a price and so it's just a matter of finding the people who understand that and are willing to. Uh, to, to give us that price. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. But it, yeah, I'm not, you know, the, the big giant blockbuster chaos. I mean, that, uh, that's, that's for another time. This is a different thing. And, and you want people, you know, the easiest way to protect this material is actually to keep that budget manageable. Now, what do you have comics wise that's going to be coming out that the audience might be interested in? So, uh, right now an image, uh, the second arc of four eyes, uh, is out called hearts of fire. Um, if, in case you don't know, it's about a, uh, it's set in the great depression, uh, in Brooklyn and New York. And it's about a kid who finds out that his father was involved in an underground dragon fighting ring. And immediately, like, it's not a spoiler that on page six, his father gets killed by a dragon. <laughs> um, that's in the first arc, but he sort of goes on this path of wanting to follow in his father's footsteps. And it's a story about, coming of age and, and revenge and kind of how far will this kid go to uh, succeed and to, you know, be kind of the man he thinks his father wants him to be. And uh, it's drawn by uh, Max Fiumara, um, who's a brilliant artist. And uh, we had some help on this arc by uh, Rafael Ortiz and um, uh, also super talented. And it's, um, it's a project that's really dear to our hearts. I really, you know, hope people get to check it out. Uh, the second, the sec, we're doing them in four issue arcs. So the second arc, the third issue actually just came out yesterday, and uh, fourth one will be out next month. And then, then it'll be a little bit of time until the next arc comes out, uh, just because Max is super busy. Uh, the indie books, you know, unfortunately, we have to kind of fit in whenever we can, and um, uh, and this is one of them. So, but uh, so four eyes, and then uh, pretty soon we're going to be announcing. Um, another all ages book that's going to come out at the end of the year um, called kid savage uh, that I'm very excited about. Um, you know, there'll be more, more information about it soon, but it's kind of on the one hand, a little bit of my kind of homage to like Hannibal, Hanna Barbera cartoons, but again, through a modern lens. So kind of, it's not as dark as the space ghost arc that I did by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> Um, for anybody who knows that there's no, there's no dead babies, uh, I promise. But it's, um, it's taking what I loved about those cartoons and then, you know, again, putting them on a, on a modern, uh, you know, modern trapping. So it's, it's looking at a new world and a, you know, crazy bunch of creatures and this very weird protagonist. And then this kind of very modern family that's thrust into that. And how do they process all this kind of information so that i'm really looking forward to uh to putting out uh that's with an artist named Ilya, who's a uh, comic uh, a cartoonist in, in england he writes and draws his own stuff very cool stuff so uh that's going to be a fun book well that sounds cool well you've been listening to another exciting episode of geek universe with jim yelton
Find out more about the Geek Universe including how to buy Jim's book, the exciting sci-fi adventure The Swindlers of Doom, along with our other geek merchandise, information about our live shows, our full archive of previous episodes, our bonus features podcast, blogs, and more at midnight-entertainment.com. You can also find the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek, or on Twitter using the Twitter handle at 30 minutes of geek. Geek Universe with Jim Yelton is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC and is a proud part of the GLN Radio Network. This episode is copyright 2015, all rights reserved. Well, kids, that's all you get. That's it. Read a book. <laughs>